This episode of Shamelessly Unapologetic will be talking about topics of eating disorders, ADHD, binge eating, and stimulant drugs. If any of these topics are a trigger to you, I highly encourage you to maybe skip this episode. Please proceed listening at your own risk. And I really do hope you enjoy this episode as we talk about some really important topics. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Shamelessly Unapologetic with me, your host, Alana Pinsky. So we have Becca King, who is an ADHD nutritionist and registered dietitian. She's got quite a big following on Instagram, and she is a registered dietitian that specializes in treatment of ADHD eating and other habits to learn how to improve ADHD symptoms. And Becca and I had a really great conversation. There were so many things that her and I were able to relate to when it came to talking about our social circles or our jobs or our diet habits and things that we have had to navigate as two neurodivergent women navigating mental health and how it's impacted our lives and how we have to work around it. I think Becca shared a lot of great actionable advice in this episode and we had a really good time chatting. I hope you listened to the trigger warning before this episode started. We are going to be talking about some sensitive topics. So like I said in that intro, please listen at your own risk or skip this episode and we'll see you next week. It's no big deal. I don't take any offense to it, but I know that these topics are important to talk about and I feel like there's not enough spaces that are safe to have these conversations. And that is why I wanted to have this conversation with Becca today as it's so important. And I think you're going to really enjoy this episode and all of her advice. So with that, why don't we go ahead and get into our interview. Hello, Becca. Welcome to Shamelessly Unapologetic. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Absolutely. I'm excited to chat with you as well. I absolutely love your Instagram and all the valuable resources that you have for folks who struggle with ADHD and food. So before we go ahead and get into all of our questions, why don't you just tell the um, listeners a little bit more about you? Yeah, so I, my name is Becca King, obviously. Um, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I have ADHD, um, and I struggled with the gambit of eating disorders in my early adult life, and now I work with adults who have ADHD and struggle with disordered eating and want to work on healing their relationship with food. So I have a dog named Lola and I live in Charlotte and I love going to EDM shows in my free time. So I guess a little fun fact about me. 
Nice. I was actually in Charlotte back in March. It had been a really long time since I had been. I think the last time I went was since high school, but my friend had her bachelorette trip there. Oh, we fun. did um we did like this lake house Airbnb in this small little city called Denton. It was like literally the middle of nowhere, <laughs> but it was like an hour outside of Charlotte. So there was one day we went into Charlotte for the city. So we yeah. like did a bunch of like some of the bars. We went to like Optimus Hall, which is really cool. I love that spot. Yeah, I live. That's like when my mom comes in to visit me. She's always like, "Can we go there?" And it's it's the funniest thing. It's this cool little food hall. Yeah, it is so cool. Like, there's so many great options. It really reminded me a lot of like the Ferry Building or Pond City Market. So the Ferry Building being in San Francisco and Pond City being in Atlanta. So it's just like those food hall things are so cool. I feel like not all cities have access to them. So I I really enjoyed that of my trip. But thank you so much for sharing that brief intro. So this is a question that I ask every single guest that comes on my show. But what would you say is the biggest thing that you are mostly unapologetic about? I was thinking about this earlier on my run of just being like, okay with not fitting into the box of being like I don't of normal or being okay with being different I guess in other people's eyes I would say is probably something that I would be the most unapologetic about I love that I feel like there are so many people who strive to be this definition of normal whatever the fuck normal yeah, whatever is it means <laughs> yeah it's like when I was a kid I was nothing except not normal like I was the weird kid I was never afraid to like be myself I mean I'm also neurodivergent (laughs) I also have ADHD yeah and a couple of other like mental health disorders that make me just me yeah and so if I was a I was not afraid to like break out into like a Lady Gaga song at a school dance and people would like look at me and judge and be like well sorry, you don't have the confidence to do what (laughs) I do. Like, I'm not going to be put in some sort of box because that's considered not normal. It's considered weird. Meanwhile, I'm living my life. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think I tried for so long to like fit into that box. And like by my freshman year of college, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't need to try to fit in anymore. It's not fulfilling for me. And it's so much nicer to feel like I can be myself. I think it was just exhausting to try and fit in. I went to a school in the South. So of course I tried to do like the whole Greek life thing and it was Mm -hmm. not meant for me. And like the idea of having to like fit this like legit stereotype of what my sorority wanted me to be and things like that. I was like, nope. Like I think it was a couple of weeks before my sophomore year started and we were about to do like sorority rush or whatever I was like actually never mind I don't want to do this anymore (laughs) I'm done oh my gosh yeah Greek life is a whole nother um, (laughs) level of like fitting into a box but before I get into that I was gonna say like it's so funny how just going into college just changes everything for a person to where you finally get to leave your past your hometown high school all behind, you get to actually start over and be surrounded by people who know nothing about you. They don't have any like perceived notions or judgments about you because they they don't know you've existed yeah. this whole time. And so I think college is definitely what changed my life. And it was like a small start to help me build that confidence. And so yeah. I actually did do a sorority. So I joined my sophomore year actually 
And I definitely know what you mean because there, there's so many rules when it comes to like being in a sorority. <laughs> I definitely had to like watch what I had to say on social media. We would get in trouble. And my sorority, I remember, had like super strict rules. And there were so many times where it would make me roll my eyes because I would think like, you guys are being so fucking boring. <laughs> like, why can't we just do things to like have fun? Why can't we follow these fun trends that are going on in Greek life right now? And it's it's funny now with like um, Bama Rush going on. I don't know if you're following that on TikTok, <laughs> but I totally am. And so it's so addicting. And I just see all of the girls now and how they dress up in these outfits. And I'm like, oh, my God, like being in Greek life looks so much better now than it did back when I was um, in college from like 2010 to 2014. Yeah, I joined my sorority in 2011. But still, it was just very like boring. I mean, it was typical millennial fashion, if you want to put it that way. (laughs) We're all wearing these dated outfits. And now just like sorority life is just so much more aesthetic these days. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, what would I give for like <laughs> me to be in a chapter now? But I totally get how it's not for everyone. And I, I'm sorry that it gave you that kind of negative experience because I, I know it can definitely make people feel some kind of way yeah. regarding like having to constrict their personality. Because yeah. I actually felt like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I ended up by my end of like towards the end of college, I ended up joining like a service sorority and that ended up aligning with my values a little bit better because it was more just like actually doing community service and things like that that were like fulfilling not that I know Greek like the traditional Greek life does do that but it was like that was the only thing that we did and so it was nice to just right you know just do that and it not have to be this like my whole life revolved around it it was which was nice so I found my place eventually Exactly. And I think that's what's really important. And I was about to say, like, I'm glad you found an organization that aligns with your values, because I think that is so, so, so important, especially when it comes to a Greek chapter like that. So I wanted to pivot um, going back to ADHD. So I guess the first thing we'll talk about is why did you decide to be a registered dietitian to focus on ADHD yeah. specifically? Um, I would have. I love that because I just I just feel like they both go so well yeah, together. I would have when I decided to become a dietitian. I would say ADHD was definitely not a part of that decision making process. And if you told me when I was like in school to be a dietitian that I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would be very shocked, honestly. But I think the cool part with nutrition or being a dietitian is there's so many different areas that you can practice, which is great for ADHDers. Uh, I was actually talking to another dietitian who was like, I've had like 10 different jobs in my like 20 years of working in completely different areas. And I'm like, I think that's what's great about the profession for people who have ADHD is that you could switch to different things as your interests and things change. I was in school to be a nurse and I was in a nutrition class led by a dietitian and I loved it. And that's when it kind of like occurred to me that there was this whole field of nutrition and it appealed to me just because you didn't have to work like the crazy shifts that nurses work and you don't really work holidays and the, you know, work-life balance was a little bit better. And so I was like, and I love food. Um, I'd say I had a weird relationship with food then because I was still struggling with an eating disorder at the time. Um, yeah. So it was definitely like a weird obsession relationship, but I was like, well, I'm passionate about food. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, I got laid off from my first job, which was a blessing in disguise. It was not the right place for me. 
Um, and I was working with a business coach to kind of figure out my place in kind of my niche with nutrition. And I teach my clients intuitive eating, which is a whole, another aside. Um, but that I was trying to figure out my place in there. And I was working with a really good friend and reflecting on my own relationship with food. And I was like, there's this whole ADHD component that nobody is talking about when it comes to eating and, you know, like not eating all day and then binging when your meds would wear off was something I really struggled with in grad school. And my really good friend did too. And so I was like, I'm going to do like some market research. And so some really nice Facebook support groups actually gave me the chance to do some polls in their Facebook groups. And almost all the women in these groups that have ADHD said they struggled with binge eating. And I was like, this is like a big thing that no one's talking about. And so I was like, I'm just, I'm going to start talking about it. And I was just starting my business at the time and it was the pandemic. So I had a lot of free time to just like hyper focus and learn everything I could about ADHD that I didn't know just based off my personal experiences. And it was, it's been really great. So yeah, probably a really long answer. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And so now you are your own independent business yeah. where you work with clients. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I have a virtual practice that I do and I mostly do small group coaching primarily with women and um, non-binary folks. Okay, awesome. So what does that program look like? Um, It's a 10-week small group. So kind of looking at intuitive eating, which is the approach, again, that I take with my clients, but kind of looking at it through the lens of having ADHD to kind of account for issues with appetite, executive functioning issues around food and cooking, because that's a big one for my clients. Mm -hmm. But just kind of being able to really tease out and understand how ADHD influences your relationship with food and how you can actually use incorporate ADHD friendly strategies to support your eating and your relationship with food. Because for a lot of my clients, it's usually the missing puzzle piece in things is like, is is the ADHD part? Or if they've worked with another dietitian who doesn't understand ADHD, they're like, here's this recipe, just go home and make it. And it's got like 20 ingredients and like 50 steps. It's and you're so like, overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and then you come back and they're like, why didn't you make this? And like, if they don't have experience with ADHD or really understand it as, you know, beyond just the hyperactive little boy, then they don't understand. They're just like, oh, they just don't want to do it or they're lazy or whatever. And it's like, no, figure out where this, you know, where someone doesn't like cooking or what's a barrier for them and how can we make it easier or, um, you know, make it more fun or whatever so that you can actually do the recipes or do the things that, you know, you want to do. Cause I find a lot of times there's just a lot of neurotypical strategies when it comes to nutrition and they just don't work mm-hmm. for, for a lot of It really doesn't. And it's funny. I was actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you, because one thing that I really struggle with, with my ADHD is my relationship with food. Yeah. I mean, my relationship with food has kind of always been trash since I was young. Yeah. I and mean, it definitely didn't help when I got into bodybuilding. And then right now I'm on an off season. So I've competed for about two years so far. And after I got off, I gained like a lot of weight. I think I was sort of spiraling into like an eating disorder a little bit and binging. And so yeah, I gained weight. But like I said, my relationship with food's always been trash. And I'd always wondered, or maybe I didn't never notice, but maybe my ADHD definitely had to play a big role in this. And one thing that I've realized over many years is that I absolutely hate cooking. And I always feel unmotivated. Like I remember when I would come home from work when I used to be commuting um, to an office in San Francisco. Now, thankfully, I get to work from home, which is so great. (laughs) Quality life is way better. But when I get home, 
I was just way too tired to cook. And I just never felt motivated. And I would get overwhelmed because I always felt like dinner had to be this huge hot meal. when honestly, it could have been whatever I wanted as long like as I was nourishing my body. So I'm curious to know what are some of your best secrets for beating unmotivation in the kitchen? Like I'd love to because I know like your whole brand is about best like strategies and methods to help people with ADHD to um, help them stay motivated and, you know, find nutritious options to to eat. I think one of the things, a big thing is not waiting until you're extremely hungry to start the cooking process. Like if you are, then I, my clients, I usually recommend like a pre-meal snack. So like have something, it doesn't have to be a big giant snack, but have something you can kind of nibble on to like kind of curb your hunger a little so you can actually think through cooking and it doesn't have to feel terrible. Um, And make it fun, like figure out ways to make it fun. Like listen to music or put music on in the background. Like I find it so much more enjoyable to cook that way um, versus just like in silence. Some of my clients will do some like body doubling either through there's tons of body doubling groups or like calling a friend while they're like FaceTiming a friend while they cook or even just inviting someone over to cook. So um, I know for some people like you I used to swap back and forth with my best friend for a while. We would cook each other dinner like once a week just to like have the other person take, do it. And then also just getting able to like eat with someone else if you live alone, just it makes eating more enjoyable. And for a lot of ADHD years, it's motivating to, you know, like, oh, my friend's coming over, I have to clean that motivates you to clean or like, hey, my friend's coming over, and I'm gonna make them dinner can make it more motivating to actually get yourself in the kitchen. Um, And then a big thing I would say is either thinking through the cooking process from like deciding what to eat to having food on your plate or writing out each of the steps of what you traditionally kind of do and think about what parts of that process are overwhelming or are, are like a stopping point for you. And then start to think about ways you can either simplify or delegate those pieces of the process. Because I think a lot of times, you know, there's just a ton of executive function that goes into cooking. And if it's not something that you find very rewarding or stimulating for your brain, it's not going to be, you know, for some people, cooking is awesome and they love it. And a lot of times it's, um, I, I will always get some comments on my Instagram posts of like, it's not overwhelming. And then they're like, but I'm a chef. And I'm like, well, then this is what, you know, your brain loves cooking, obviously, because that's your profession. Right. <laughs> but, you know, for some people, cooking is like the same as doing laundry. It's just this annoying thing that we always have to constantly do. So trying to figure out where you can simplify things and just make it a little bit easier for yourself, I think is super helpful. Yeah. So what would you say are like some good um, examples of like simple recipes to kind of help get rid of some of that like overwhelming feelings? Like, do you have some like go-to meals that you really enjoy cooking (laughs) on that even the most burnt out person could make? Yes. So a big one I do, this is a very easy one, like grabbing a salad kit and rotisserie chicken and like that alone could be a meal. Um, I usually will add some extra veggies in there just to like give it a little bit more volume and color. But if you don't want to cut and chop veggies, you totally wouldn't have to. Another one I do is I will get like a 90 second bag of rice. So just pop it in the microwave, a bag of like frozen stir fry veggies. I've definitely done that before. And then, and then again, like rotisserie chicken or like scrambled eggs to make it a stir fry or something like that and Asian seasonings. They even sell like stir fry kits now that have all the veggies in it and the sauce. So you just have to add 
a protein and some sort of starch in there and kind of have a complete meal that way. So I'd say those are probably like my top two. Breakfast for dinner is always a great easy one. I love like avocado toast and egg. I do that in the morning, but super easy and a little effort. I'm trying to think what are some other ones I do often. Honestly, pasta is a very easy one too that I'll do. Pasta, a sauce, and then like chicken sausage. If I want to add a veggie, I'll get like some frozen broccoli and heat that up while everything's cooking and it's pretty easy. So I like, I try to keep things like five main ingredients, like the seasonings and things like that. As long as I'm not having to make a complicated sauce are fine, but at least to my brain, you know, if I have to add things, because that'll make it taste better. As long as I'm not making some crazy sauce or something, it doesn't feel like too many ingredients for me, but like five main ingredients and like one pot or two, you know, two pots that I can use to make it come together pretty easy. One thing I really like um, that's helped me when it comes, this is helpful when I'm grocery shopping. Have you seen like, I don't know if there's a Safeway near you in Charlotte. I know there's, they're very popular on the West Coast, but yeah. they have the veggie section. They have like cut up vegetables yep. in like a vacuum package. Oh my God. It is so <laughs> helpful because like, I think for me preparing vegetables is something that like absolutely overwhelms me. The prep of cooking, I think, is what is really hard for me in general. So knowing that these veggies are like pre-cut. Yeah. You mentioned the frozen veggies. Those are also really good as well. But yeah, just anything that I don't have to actually cut and dice on like a cutting board, it saves so much time. So I know those are some things that I look for when I go grocery shopping. Are there other things that you look for when you go grocery shopping that you know won't overwhelm you? The 90-second bag of rice rice or the frozen rice, I do those. So like it's one less dish. I don't have to actually like get a pot out and fill it up with water. There's some brands now that even do minute pasta. And I think Barilla is one of them. Um, and so you literally just pop it in the microwave for a minute. So again, it's just less dishes that you have to do. I get frozen like garlic and ginger cubes or like – because like for me – I love garlic and putting it into a recipe or like garlic, um, minced garlic in the jar. That step of not mm-hmm. having to peel and like mince or oh, chop yeah. garlic was like a game changer for me. I was like, oh, this makes it so much easier. And my hands don't smell like garlic. Yeah. Or I'll get like basil or cilantro. Like if I'm using that in a recipe, I'll just get the paste version of it because it. The, if I buy a fresh thing of it, it's just going to end up going bad in my, in my fridge. So um, those things, I buy like frozen pre-cooked chicken because like sensory-wise, I don't like touching raw meat very much. I love getting like frozen grilled chicken because I can just pop it on the stove or in my air fryer and heat it up from frozen and it takes, you know, like maybe five to 10 minutes to get it heated. And so that just saves the like ick from having to touch it. And I know it can be ready in like way less time and I don't have to remember to like defrost it before I cook it and that whole thing. No, I know. I feel like an air fryer is honestly like an ADHDer's best yes. friend. So when I had roommates um one of my apartments in San Francisco, one of them had an air fryer that we could use and we just had to like clean up after yeah. afterwards. I would cook my sweet potatoes in like 15 minutes and sweet potatoes, I swear, they take like 40 (laughs) minutes just to cook in the oven. So the fact that I was able to cook sweet potatoes within 15 minutes at the temperature and then have them be ready to go. And it's like, I didn't have to do that much work. I still need to get an air fryer. My ADHD brain has kept putting it (laughs) off. Also like 
air fryers are so also aren't cheap. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's on my list. Like an air fryer is something that I really need to get because I feel like it will give me so much more options with my like diet in yeah. my menu. So that way I can eat healthier things and cook them really quick because yeah. I really don't like using my oven as much just because of how much energy it uses and just like how long things take to yeah. cook with an oven as opposed to an air fryer. So I'm so glad you yeah. brought up the whole air fryer. Air thing, fryer. I think it, it really saves time. Yeah. Either the air fryer. I have like an air fryer toaster oven combo. So it's like gets rid of like the need for a toaster. So it's like one appliance on my thing um, or the air fryer like Instapot combo is another one that exists too. So it's kind of you get like a two for one kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I agree. It, I rarely use my oven anymore because my air fryer slash toaster oven thing, um, it doesn't have to preheat. It's just the best. <laughs> it just does it for yeah. you. I know it is the best. It, it's on my list. Hopefully by like next month, I'll have an air fryer and I can like be happier like being in the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> um, so going back to more about you with ADHD, I would yeah. love to know a little bit more about when you were diagnosed with ADHD and how it's affected your life and functionality because I know it impacts everyone so different. Yeah, I did. I feel like I have a pretty common story with a, like a lot of women do where like I did really, I did fine in school. I excelled really when I was in school. I was extremely active and really good at sports. And my mom kept me busy and always doing something and, you know, had me on a schedule and a routine. And then when I got to college and all of that was gone, I really, really struggled with everything. Like it wasn't just studying like I could figure out how to get to the library and study and do all of that but it was like I like just you know keeping my dorm room clean thank god I had my own dorm because if whoever would have lived with me would have hated me I had my luckily I had my own little box room um but yeah it was just I couldn't keep things clean or organized my emotional dysregulation was terrible too I would say um, that and my anxiety was really bad as well. And it, so for me, it was just like, I definitely felt like I was constantly just couldn't keep up or I was failing. And it really impacted just my overall like self-esteem and how I felt about myself. And my, by my sophomore year, when I was in therapy, I kind of brought it up to my therapist and I was like, I think I have ADHD because my roommate had ADHD at the time. And I was like, we're two peas in a pod. <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. like, I'm definitely struggling and I can't figure out what's wrong. And so she tested me and she was, she was like, you have the combined type ADHD. And so basically after that, I've had my doctor prescribe me meds. And then a couple years later, I kind of took a break from therapy and got back into seeing a psychiatrist. And at the time, it was so confusing to me because I was like, um, I had some pretty traumatic things happen to me then. And I was like, we're not talking about any of this, like this deep stuff. I would meet with him and we would like work on my schedule and planning and goal setting. And I was like, now, now looking back, I'm like, oh, we were just doing ADHD coaching. <laughs> like that's what you were doing with me. Now it makes sense because I was like, I don't understand. Like, I feel like we should be getting really deep. I see you every month. Like, and now I'm like, oh, but now I realize a lot of the stuff you had taught me was a lot of it was like some CBT work. So for me, it's a lot easier to reframe my thoughts and thinking now. And that I think has been 
huge for me because it just used to be that like one little thought would catch and I would like spiral downwards. Like if I remember I used to have like a meltdown if I would fry my egg and when I would flip it, (laughs) the egg yolk would crack, like the whole day would start to be ruined straight from there. I was like, great, it's going to be a terrible day. (laughs) I can't even flip my egg. Like I'm a terrible person. And like now it's like I don't get in those loops where it's just like something little tiny like that just sends me down like in this spiral of like I can't even do anything like I'm a horrible person so I think therapy was really helpful for me and I think it just did a lot of like introspective work I would say for myself too of just I think radical acceptance would probably be the best way of thinking about it of just like really learning to accept who I am I think that's important. I mean, yeah, therapy definitely goes very well with um, the meds because you learn like CBD practices to help. So you mentioned that you got diagnosed in college. Mm -hmm. Yep, 19. Okay, I was diagnosed when I was 21. So I should have actually been diagnosed when I was a kid. So I had developed a couple other like mental health disorders when I was really young and I was going to therapy for that. And... I never like there were some things I knew why I was going to therapy because I had developed trichotillomania. But also with school, at first I was I was doing well, like I would make good grades, but it wasn't until like middle school where I started to really struggle. And then high school, it got really bad and I couldn't even take a test. Yeah. Like I remember when I took the SAT, I completely bombed it. And then I studied my ass off, like, yeah. right? And I was like, I'm never going to get into college with these scores. Yeah. So I had to like apply to less prestigious universities because my scores were so bad, even though I studied and studied. And so then when I got to college, I was failing tests. And yeah. even though I was a good student, I was doing my work. And I said, okay, like I need to get help. Like I thought maybe I just had a learning disorder, but that's when I was like diagnosed with um, ADHD. And I was like pissed that I was getting diagnosed this late because part of me had always wondered, like, did I ever have this like years ago? This is what was like holding me back like this whole time. So I was originally prescribed Adderall and I absolutely hated it. Oh, it was so bad. Once it made me faint in the library. Oh, no. That's a that's that's drama right there. Oh my god. That was so embarrassing being taken to the hospital. Oh my gosh. I bet. I was just trying to get my bagel before yeah. class because we had an oh, Einstein there. Yeah. Literally, I'm literally I'm in line ordering my bagel and coffee. And right after I spit out my order, boom, oh. on the floor, everyone scared. It, it was embarrassing, but now I'm on a different med. So before my current med, I was taking um, Vyvanse. Yeah. And this is going to make you cringe, but I was using Cerebral to get my services. And because I also <laughs> used to work there for corporate. Okay. And so I, I don't work there anymore um, because, you know, they have their own drama. Yeah. Um, yeah so I was overprescribed. Like my dosage that they prescribed me was way too high. And I kept saying, like, this is making me feel like shit. My dry mouth is unbearable. I couldn't eat. Yeah. And I want to hear your perspective on, like, meds and appetite suppression. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to dive into as well. Now I'm taking Dexedrine, which I just started, like, two weeks ago. So my dosage increased a little bit. So we'll see how that yeah. goes in the meantime. But it's I've been through, like, a lot of these meds. And I'm just trying to see what will work for me. Yeah. But I do like that it is quiet up there. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think in terms of the appetite thing, like for some people, they might not have any issues with appetite depending. Some meds 
just won't impact their appetite. So I still say it's a potential side effect for some people because I know some people get frustrated because they think like, oh, this is going to help me stop eating. And then it doesn't have that effect on them. And then they're frustrated because they're like, I thought this is what it was supposed to do. But I think at least for me, it was a really big mindset thing. It took me a little while to figure it out, but I really had to prioritize eating throughout the day because for me, yeah, it suppressed my appetite during the day. Like Vyvanse is the only FDA approved medication for binge eating, for instance. But if you mm-hmm. are struggling with binge eating and not actually getting therapy or working with a dietitian to address binge eating, a lot of times what happens is you might not eat much during the day or at all. And then your meds were off and you're still binging. So you might not be having, you know, you might not be binging maybe multiple times a day or things like that, but it's not actually fixing the problem. You know, like the medication definitely can help, but it's not going to do everything to solve your problem if you're struggling with binge eating. There's definitely pros and cons. If it gets to the point, if you're taking an app, you know, if you're taking something and it's suppressing your appetite to the point where you're miserable, then I would definitely bring it up to your provider to figure out maybe another option. Or, you know, if it's getting you to the point where you're losing, you know, a significant amount of weight, um, you're barely able to eat, you know, things like that, that are actually probably going <laughs> to impact your cognitive function as well. If you're not eating during the day, then it's definitely worth like, maybe there's something else out there that will actually mesh better with your chemistry. So yeah, you mentioned that you try to eat throughout the day when your meds may suppress. How do you get yourself to eat? Because I think that just right there is like some of the hardest yeah. parts. Like even trying to eat something small, I'll have like a little bite. I'm like, okay, I'm done. And it, it, I feel so guilty about it because yeah. like I know I should be eating more than that. Yeah. But it's so hard. So I take Adderall instant release. So I take it in the morning and in the afternoon. Um, and so for me, I anchor, kind of anchor or pair my meals with that because that's going to be when I take it is usually when my appetite's going to be the best. And then I've always been a breakfast eater. So that's never like if I don't eat breakfast, it's, it's bad news bears for everyone around me. So that meal has never been an issue for me. And then lunch is one where like, when my meds start to wear off, before I take my afternoon doses, my appetite usually will kind of creep back up a little bit and I can eat. Um, But just finding I think foods that you can tolerate, which can take some trial and error things that you can drink too to get your nutrition in like protein shakes or liquid type things like yogurt and things like that and that might be a little bit more tolerable versus actually having yogurt to is good. chew your food yeah so it's i think it's just exploring what works for you or it might be hey i'm not going to eat big large meals during the day cuz my meds suppress my appetite so maybe i'm going to snack and graze you know like and eat you know some snack kind of throughout the day. So I'm still getting food in, but it might not be like a full meal because for a lot of my clients, like it can feel really overwhelming or like it turns you off to have just like a maybe a normal por- like a normal meal portion of food in front of you. And you're like, that's, ugh, I don't want anything to do with that. So sometimes just smaller yeah. little bits can be better or what I'm going to put air quotes around and say kids foods like PB&J or Kraft Mac and cheese. Like if there's things that maybe are nostalgic and make it a little bit easier for you to tolerate eating those things, like giving yourself permission to find, you know, those types of food. It doesn't, you know, or thinking outside the box with meals too of like, you know, it doesn't, lunch doesn't have to be like a sandwich or something like that. It can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Do you ever find like a lot of your clients are under eating because of the suppression? Because I know you mentioned like a lot of small meals. What do you think is like the most healthy way for those who struggle with their meds and ADHD to make sure that they are getting the proper nutrients so they're not losing a substantial amount of weight? Because I know our meds can do that to us. I think 
I think if you can work with somebody to just, even if it's just to like get a consult or something to just like review what a typical day of eating is for you. Obviously, if you're noticing signs of like of losing weight or your meds are starting to impact you, honestly, like doing some searches for things of like how to add more nutrition in so you can sneak things in. It might mean that you need to, you know, maybe it's not picking things that are like low fat or, you know, reduced calories. It's picking the things that are going to be packed with nutrition, but have a smaller volume of food that you have to have. So like a lot of, you know, fruits and vegetables, for instance, you have to eat a lot of them to get a good bit of nutrition in. But, you know, there's certain things like let's say you're having whole fat, like Greek yogurt or something like that instead of non-fat, you're going to get more in for the same portion of food that way. Um, so being able to figure out some mm-hmm. of those those sorts of foods, or maybe it's having a meal replacement shake or something like that, that just helps you adding it into what you're already eating can sometimes help. I know I've had a pre-medication. I had to do that for a while during when I was anorexic. Like I had, that was my post meal. I had to have at least like one meal replacement thing a day to kind of help with my recovery and regaining my weight or stay, I should say stabilizing it again. Yeah, that that sounds really um stressful, yeah. but I'm glad you were able to like find something to kind of gradually work your way back up to. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of just have like you mentioned that whole trial and error and then also kind of taking it baby steps at the at a time is like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely with anything in nutrition and I think as ADHDers like we're very prone to the all or nothing or like I'm going to jump in and try to make all the changes all at once and that's really overwhelming. So maybe it's picking one meal or one snack or something like that to work on and then slowly adding little changes on top of it. So that way, once you feel like you've mastered one thing, like for a lot of my clients, it's just focusing on eating something every three to four hours to start. And it doesn't matter what it is. And and once we can get that behavior down, then we can start focusing on like what you're actually eating. Um, but just building the habit and like the routine of eating regularly throughout the day versus like, oh, what am I eating? Is it good enough? Is it healthy enough? Is it this or is it that? Um, and then not eating if it's not that thing or doesn't meet those criteria. And then you end up not feeling great after that. I like that approach. I think it's a very healthier approach to even just trying to better your relationship with food. Yeah. I think just like eating something, regardless of what it is, even if it's French fries, yeah. at least you're putting something in your body to try to like get food in there because your your meds have suppressed yeah. your appetite for hours. And I think you've also mentioned like even people who don't have or who do have ADHD don't necessarily realize that they're hungry. Yeah. Yeah, it um we tend to have lower levels of interoception, so we struggle with recognizing and acting on body cues just in general. Um so even going to the bathrooms another one that like a lot of ADHDers will wait till the very last minute or you're like, you know, hyper focused on your work and you're like, I don't have to go to the bathroom, I'm just gonna keep going and then all of a Guilty. sudden you're like, I have to go to the bathroom right now and you're like running to the bathroom and hunger is very similar. I find for a lot of my clients you might blip it on the radar of like oh, I should eat, but let me finish this email or let me, you know, let me go finish this this other task I was working on and then I'll eat. And then it just completely drops off your radar and then hours go by. And then by the time you do need to eat, it's like, holy cow, I, I need food now. And it, whatever's the quickest, easiest thing is what I'm going to shove in my face. And, and it's oftentimes it's like, might not be the thing that we would ideally want to eat or what makes us feel good, but it's like, that's just the easiest thing and I need food right now. So. Right. It's the matter of like convenience. Yeah. I think that's 
kind of key for us is like what's going to be convenient for us. And it's always so fascinating to me. They do a lot of the studies they've done on adults with ADHD and nutrition or diet. They're just like studies of what they eat. And I'm like, this is the most boring research because like it's not to me. It's not anything nobody knows. I'm just like, yes, I know we eat more convenience foods and fast foods and processed foods. And I'm like, how about we explore why this is happening not just like let's do a survey and say these that people with ADHD tend to eat you know quote unquote a poor diet and it's like well maybe we should explore why that's happening <laughs> and it's a random thing that drives me nuts with yeah. ADHD and like adult ADHD and nutrition research I'm like can we do some other studies here <laughs> it's like how original I haven't heard that yeah. before yeah I'm like I wonder why like hmm <laughs> Kind of going over to just like having ADHD in general, I guess this kind of goes more back to your own personal experience, but what would you say are some methods that have worked really well for you in order to help you manage and like, you know, push through the barriers of ADHD? Like what's really, what's worked really well for you? I think, again, going back to like what I said about being like, being okay with being different. I don't know. I feel like in school I was able to do pretty well because I just really tried to figure out for me everything when I think about how to do things it's how I'm doing the things and so like when it came to studying I had a very specific way that I studied studied for things and it worked really well for me and it took a little bit of time to figure out that method but then once I would do it it was like I had this mindset going into like each semester of college of how I was going to do certain classes or certain classes I maybe needed to study more or I used a whiteboard a lot when I was in school because I could write things a million times to remember them. But it was like, okay, I might do things very differently from my peers when it comes to studying or doing things. And that's totally okay. And I think another piece too is like, I've had a lot of neurotypical friends come over, especially at my old apartment. I lived in a studio and so, and had very minimal storage space. So there there was a lot of what they would consider clutter, which to me was not clutter. Um, And they would come over and Mm -hmm. be like, you need to find a home for all of your things. And I would be like, the home for all of these things is out because I will not remember where they are or I will tear apart my whole entire apartment trying to find the one thing. And it's usually in front of my face anyways. And then it's frustrating because there's this big whole mess that I just made looking for like one thing so I can use it in one task for five minutes. And so just accepting that like, hey, I might not have what looks like what my friend's living spaces look like or and that's okay. And for me just talking to like, what is ADHD to my friends and like explaining it to them also I found was really helpful being like, no, I really do struggle with putting my laundry away. And you know, keeping up with all of these things. It's not because I don't want to do like, it's not because I'm lazy or don't care about them. I want to do them. But sometimes I just get stuck and I can't, can't do it. And so I think explaining, yeah, explaining it to your friends who don't have it or to some degree can be really helpful too, I think, because then it's not as much judgment and there's just less shame because every time they come over, I don't get the same conversations anymore of like, why don't you just do this? And it's like, because it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know just for me, I just struggle just to get up from my seat. Yeah. Like, it'll, like my mind will be like, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Stupid bitch, yeah. get up. You've got shit to do. And I'm just still laying there, not doing anything. And then eventually I have to like force myself. But I know you mentioned that you have to sometimes explain like what ADHD is to your 
neurotypical friends. And I think one thing that I actually had to start doing at my job, because what the the irony is when I was at Cerebral Mental Health Company, I'm going to (laughs) shade you guys for a little bit. Um, It's fine. I've shaded them already enough on my podcast (laughs) and on LinkedIn. But besides that, I have really bad ADHD. And so mine is basically inattentiveness and impulsivity. Yeah. And so I have a very like flat tone when it comes to like my voice. So when people hear me talk, they think that I'm being bitchy and rude. And or if I say something by accident, I know that it's not me trying to intentionally like be malicious. I know that part of that there is a little bit of ADHD in there. Um, And it gets me in trouble at work. So one and I ended up losing my job because people thought that I was being rude and people had oh. so much negative feedback about me that I didn't even get a chance to explain myself. That's so terrible. It was, it was bullshit. Yeah, I'm sorry. That it was bullshit. Like, I, have a whole ep- I have a whole episode that you can <laughs> yeah. go listen to. It's a, co- it's a solo episode. Basically, what I did when I started my new job back um, in June, anyone that I met separately on my team, I said, hey, by the way, if you feel like I said something or if I'm not fulfilling up to my responsibilities in any kind of way, I do want to let you know, like I do have ADHD. Sometimes like I can get impulsive and I say things that maybe I don't necessarily mean, but just so you know, please come talk to me first. Please don't go to our manager. Yeah. If, if you feel like you have a problem with me, just please, please, please come talk to me. I promise like you can come confront me about it just because like I will be open. Like I'm willing to work with you and like problem solve because I don't like it when people have problems with me. Yeah. And so people seem to be very receptive to that being like, oh my God, thanks for letting me know. I mean, you'll find that we're a really chill team. Yeah. I don't think you'll like have that drama, but it's like, I have trauma now because yeah. of it. I have trust issues. So now, like, I have to feel like I have to explain myself with my ADHD. Like, I'm not trying to blame my ADHD, but it's like, I know that definitely impacted me at the in the workplace. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. It, especially with women. Yeah, definitely. I think being open about it, as scary as it can be, it can be just really helpful for people to at least know or have some understanding of like, hey, I might, you know, like you said, I might be impulsive. I might have these little things that I struggle with and that's cool. Like, I think just being able to to say that or acknowledge it can be really powerful for people and to be like, hey, if there's something going on too, just to be like, hey, come talk to me first and let me know that there's an issue because it's so annoying and frustrating, even if it's not related to ADHD, but like if a coworker or someone has an issue with you of going and telling someone else before even making you aware that like there's an issue there. I think it's like the mature yeah. thing to do to be like, Hey, this has been an issue with you or Hey, I'm like, you said this or whatever happened of like telling the person about it. So that way they can work on it and not have to have like a manager or someone higher up come like get you in trouble or punish you because Something and happened it's and you're so like, embarrassing. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I mean, it's officially turned me off from working at startups. Now I work at a bigger company yeah. and I'm already seeing just like a difference in just like the way people communicate. Like for me, I'm a very um extroverted person, but at work I have to pretend and like mask yeah. and act like an introvert because of that trauma. And so I just don't talk to people because I I just feel like I have to mask my unapologetic self. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to get me in trouble. And I'm like, what the fuck did I do now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think when I was like looking back, I was definitely 
pretty hyperactive. And then I moved in sixth grade from Michigan to Georgia. And I think when I moved, like that move was sixth grade's already a vulnerable time. And so I think when I moved, Mm -hmm. it was one of those moments where it was like, I stopped being this super bubbly outgoing person because of like, basically like RSD looking back, like the judgment and the rejection that I felt or thought I was experiencing made me just become an like a very introverted person until you'd get to know me. And then I'm like extremely extroverted. But it, I think transitioned for a little while when I was in like a more traditional work setting of me not, I felt like there was work Becca and then there was Becca when I'm not working. And now I love getting to work with ADHDers because I'm just my I'm like I'm just Becca now and it's so refreshing to yeah, not have to, you get like, to be yourself yeah like I can come on camera and have a fidget in my hand or you know like do whatever I need to do to feel comfortable on calls or allow my clients to do whatever they need to do on calls to feel comfortable and safe when they're you know together and I think that's so great versus us like so my clients are like, this is my favorite call that I get to, you know, if they work virtually, they're like, this is my favorite call of the week because I don't, it's the one call I don't have to mask on and I can just be myself. And that's so refreshing. And so I think that's, it's Absolutely. nice. It's so refreshing. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you have that job. Like your job allows you to just be yourself with your clients and you don't have to worry about like a boss being like, you can't talk to a client like that or what you're saying is inappropriate. Yeah. And it's like, you get to call the shots. And I mean, I think you know already what's professional and not professional. Your clients are also people too, who also struggle with like the same thing that you are. And it's just so much easier to have like that mutual understanding to where it just doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just huge. Or even just in your daily life, like I love most of my friends are neurodivergent in some way. And so it's just really nice. Like when we are all together I don't have to try to be anybody else around them. If I'm with my neuro, like neurotypical friends, it's exhausting sometimes because I'll, I'll say something and they don't understand or they don't get how I got from point A to point B in a story. And I'm like, I don't know how else to explain this story to you. Um, let me try again. <laughs> and like, it's so great when I'm with my other, like my friends who are neurodivergent because it could be like, hey, I just told you a story and you totally got how I got from here to here. Um, like my best friend and I will tell stories and her partner will be like, how did you get from here? Like you guys were talking about this and now you're all the way here. Like, how did you get there? We're like, how did you not get here to here with us? Like, how did you not piece it together? (laughs) It all makes sense how it all flows. And like, so it's nice. I think finding people or a community, even if it's not in real life, but virtually finding community with having ADHD, I think can be so huge. So you can yeah yourself and people can get you without having to like exhaustively explain yourself I agree I mean yeah I also have a lot of close friends that also have ADHD like my sister has ADHD most of my best friends have ADHD so I feel like I just kind of got lucky knowing that most of my friends are neurodivergent like me so they just understand my personality very well And that's really refreshing. And I feel like a lot of friends that I have that are neurotypical, I'm either not really friends with them anymore (laughs) or it's a very small number. Yes. Yeah. It is like just because they misinterpret shit. 
yeah. that I say. And it's it's frustrating and it makes me seem like I'm the bad guy when I'm not. Yeah. Keeping up with communication is a challenge for me with friendships. It has been my whole life. Um, and yeah. it's nice to have friends where it's like we can literally pick up where we left off and it's not like, why haven't you texted me in a month or you didn't invite me to this, like whatever. It's not because I don't like you or whatever. Like it's not even related to that yeah. at all, but they'll take it personally. And I'm like, I do this with all of my friends. Like I will write you a text message and not press send. And then the next time you text me, I'm like, oh my God, we were having a conversation and I completely forgot. And I so sorry. And they're like, eventually they get tired of it. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. I know birthdays has kind of been a sore spot for me lately. Yeah. Like just remembering to say happy birthday to people. I'm like, fuck, I'm a horrible friend. I forgot to say happy birthday to you. Like, and then I get guilty about yeah. it. And like, they're just like, no, no, it's okay. And they're like, I mean, hey, better late than never. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I guess I just I still feel bad. Yeah, I've like started adding their like my friends' birthdays into their contact information on my phone because like yeah, I've had to do I that don't too. use Facebook the same way I used to. Same. That was the only way I really knew who's like when someone's birthday was. Like I, it blows my mind. People are like, oh, so and so's birthday is coming up. I'm like, how do you retain the information for everyone's birthdays in your life? Like it took me like 18 years to figure out when my mom's birthday was like my entire life. It was like, when is my mom's birthday? I know it's in August and I could never figure out, like could never remember the dates. How do people remember for all of their friends and family when their birthdays are? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I started putting mine in my calendar on my phone and iPhone has like a new feature now where you can add birthdays. Yes. And so that is helpful. So thank God. Because yeah, then it pops up that. on my calendar and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Make sure I actually send them a text message this year instead of forgetting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. So I know we're coming up on time. So I guess the last question that I have for you, and I just want to say you've given like so much great like actionable advice, but what would you say would be the biggest piece or like big takeaway regarding like actionable advice you could give to someone who has ADHD and struggles to manage like a healthy relationship with food and cooking? My biggest tip is, again, like getting, I guess, get curious and then figure out like explore without judgment what works for you, even if that's not the norm or like, you know, even if that means, hey, I use a meal kit service, right? Order my groceries or, you know, I set alarms on my phone to remind me to eat. Like there's no shame in doing things maybe a less quote unquote traditional way to nourish yourself. Um, and if that helps you have a better relationship with food by doing that, then like it, I promise it will make a ton of difference when you start to just kind of get curious and explore without judgment of like, Hey, this thing, you know, Hey, ordering my groceries made it so I could actually cook or, you know, I keep little snacks with me. So if I am hungry, I can eat and I'm not, you know, my blood sugar is not tanking and I feel like I'm about to faint of like, I have things ready for me and that's cool. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice is like, get curious and explore what works for you without judgment. And that usually opens the door to having a much better relationship with food. That is so important. And I Definitely agree. Um, because I mean that's kind of what I had to do to to really help me. And yeah. I mean, like I'm still working yeah. on it, to be honest. Like there's still things that I'm trying to like figure out myself, but I have found things that work for me 
So I'm going to definitely continue to do yeah. that, but I always still like knowing what else can I do yeah. to improve. The other thing I'd say when you find something, maybe have a list or a place where you house all of the things that work for you or meals that you love or whatever, like have a, a go-to spot for those things because a lot of times they'll work and then we stop doing them for whatever reason and then we forget that they exist for a while and then you rediscover that tool or strategy or whatever and you're like, oh yeah, I used to do this all the time or I used to make this recipe all the time and I completely forgot about it and I love it. So having somewhere where those things exist that you can go back to. So if you are at a place where you're struggling, you can go back and like review the list of things you've done that have worked or maybe do like a list of things that have worked and haven't so you know and you don't have to like try to redo things again and it not work. So perfect. Becca, if people wanted to follow you or yeah. even go to you for diet services, yeah. uh, where can they find you? I'm most active on Instagram at ADHD.nutritionist. Um, and there is a link in my bio to set up a free 30-minute call if you are interested in learning about my coaching services and you want to see if we're or just see if we're a good fit to work together. And you can always shoot me a DM too if you want. Perfect. And I will make sure that I have her Instagram handle down below in the podcast description. So you can go ahead and follow her and check her out and click on her link if you ever want to go to her for services. Also, guys, if you have an unapologetic experience that you want to share and have me read anonymously on the podcast, feel free to email the podcast at shamelessly unapologetic podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to follow us on instagram at shamelessly unapologetic becca it's been such a pleasure having you i feel like i've learned so much and i hope for those who are listening have taken away like a lot of great information especially if they're struggling with adhd and food it's been so eye-opening yes thank you so much for having me and creating space for such important conversations Absolutely. Guys, I hope to see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.